Please turn now in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5, and also turn please to chapters 12 and 13. I remind you that in Deuteronomy, this is about 38 years after the book of Exodus, Moses rewrites the Ten Commandments in chapter 5, and then for the rest of the book, most of the book, Moses gives a commentary on each of the Ten Commandments. The first commandment, he gives a commentary on in chapters 6 through 11. Then his commentary on the second commandment is in chapters 12 and 13. And I'm going to refer to 12 and 13 later because it's going to give you insight on the meaning and the application of the second commandment. Let's first read, let me first read Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. Here's the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that in this brief time this morning you'll give us wisdom of what this commandment is actually addressing and how this commandment rightly even applies to us today and how to encourage us to strengthen our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen. Well, one critical aspect in life is having good manners, which as you know, Good manners extends to everything you do. Think about it. How you eat, how you talk, how you approach somebody in a conversation, it's all a reflection of your manners or your mannerism. Now, it's easy to understand how good manners is important between people and relationships. That's very obvious and very clear. But let me ask you this. Have you ever thought about how good manners is important with your relationship with God? Well, today, I want you to notice that the second commandment is addressing a particular mannerism that God hates. Now, I say hate Because that's what it says here. When he says that he shows judgment to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, in the context, he's talking about these people who are doing this mannerism. This is a mannerism that God hates. In other words, let me say this. When people approach God or they come near to God in this way, in this mannerism, It offends God, and it turns Him off. Now, let me begin with a a human illustration. 
about relationships to make my point. Let me say it this way. If you have a bad approach to someone that you want to have a conversation with and your approach is really bad, that person's not going to want to talk to you. In fact, that person might even want to run away from you if you have have such a bad approach. The simple point is this, is that if you want to have a conversation with someone, if you want to get close in a relationship with anybody, you have to have the right approach or the right mannerism. Well, you can apply the same concept between God and His people. When you study the writings of Moses in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, a majority of Moses' subject matter that he writes about is dealing with one issue, a majority of it, and that is this. How do you approach the God of the Bible? When they want to draw near to Him, when they want to come close to Him and pray to Him and interact with Him and feel His presence, they need to do it in a certain way. And so in Moses' time period, this is why Moses sets up the tabernacle to be built. The priesthood is established. The sacrificial system is set up in this day, in this ancient world. And all of this is God's way of saying this. When you approach me, I want you to come close to me and do it in this mannerism. This is what you do, as if God is saying this. God says, you give a a sacrificial animal to the priest, he will sacrifice the animal, the priest will come close to me for, for you on your behalf, and he'll make atonement for your sins. This is how you are to worship, this is how you are to pray, and this is how you are to feel my presence with you. That's, that's a paraphrase, okay, of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Answering the question of how do you approach God in a way that, is not, that does not offend God, that does not turn Him off. And He wants to listen as you come close to Him in prayer, worship, and to experience His presence. Well, let me tell you this, that the bad mannerism is, is mentioned here in the second commandment. And a perfect illustration of the bad mannerism of a coming close to God is found in Exodus chapter 32. And you don't need to turn there, but it's a story about the golden calf. And the people were waiting on Moses to come down after 40 days and, and haven't heard from Moses God's been silent because he's been talking to Moses up there. And the people are wondering, where is the God who brought us out from the land of Egypt? And they want to feel God's presence. They want to sense it. And they're impatient. And so here's what happens in Exodus chapter 32. It says, when the people saw Moses delaying, he delayed from coming down from the mountain. The people gathered together to Aaron and said, come, let us make gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, they think he may be dead. Moses, who brought us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what became of him. So Aaron said to the people, okay, break off your golden earrings. And they got all the earrings from their wives, their sons, their daughters. And he says, bring them to me. And in verse 3, all the people broke off their golden earrings from their ears. And they brought them to Aaron 
And he received all the gold from their hand, and he made, he fashioned with an engraving tool, a molded calf, some little calf made of gold. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And so Aaron, when he saw it, he built an altar and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to Yahweh, to the Lord. And in verse six, it says, then they rose up early the next morning, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, I end the verse here, the passage here, where it says the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Paul quotes this very verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7. The reason why I'm emphasizing this is because some people try to argue that the second commandment does not apply today. Because they'll say Christ has become incarnate. And if you can take a picture of Jesus or a drawing of Jesus, a painting of Jesus, a carving of Jesus, a statue of Jesus, then you can use that to help increase your faith and worship God. But what I'm going to show you is that they broke the second commandment here on Exodus in the book of Exodus chapter 32. It's the second commandment they're breaking primarily. And Paul quotes that passage and applies it to the Corinthian church. If Paul is going to apply a second commandment passage to a New Testament church, it means that the second commandment still applies today. It has not expired with the incarnation of Christ. So that's a side point, but let me get back to the point, is that they were using, here's a summary of the golden image and why it's a violation of not simply the first commandment, but primarily the second commandment. They're trying to design an image of God to worship God, to assist them in knowing God. Notice this, they're not making an image of Moloch. They're not making an image of Baal or an Egyptian deity. That would be a clear violation of the first commandment. They're actually making an image of Yahweh. Of the God who brought them out of the land of Egypt. And even Aaron says this tomorrow is a feast to Yahweh. Look, here he is. And we're going to celebrate to Yahweh. They're using this golden calf as a gateway to divine power. Or think of it like this. They're using this golden calf as a portal to know that through this calf, we know that God is now with us and we're going to go into the promised land. We feel better because we can see what's right in front of us. There he is. There's Yahweh. There's the Lord. That makes me feel so much better. That's how they're violating the second commandment. It's an alternate means of grace. This is a gateway by which heaven's grace, God's presence is going to be felt through the image that I've made. And by worshiping it, by bowing down to it, I can unlock the keys of, of what I need to, to heal me, to help me. And they make a golden calf. Now, you may be wondering, like some people wonder, why did they make a calf? You know, why would they think that a calf represents Yahweh? 
One suggestion I've, I've heard, which is very plausible. Later in the Bible, Ezekiel sees God's chariot show up in Ezekiel chapter 1. And when, when God's chariot shows up in Ezekiel chapter 1, there's four faces. The lion face, the calf face or ox face, the man face, and the eagle face. These are angels with these types of faces. They're also mentioned in the book of Revelation. So most likely, very probably, when God showed up on Mount Sinai, they're looking at Mount Sinai. God's chariot shows up, just like it did in Ezekiel chapter 1. And from their angle, they're looking at this ox face. Maybe, maybe that's how they deduced and thought, well, the presence of God looks like a cow. Okay, That's a suggestion. Um, we don't know exactly, but when you put other parts of the Bible in there, there's, a, there's an angel in heaven that has an ox face or cow face. But that may be why they thought Yahweh was represented good by a cow. Now, in that story, to show you how much God hated that, the Levites and Moses killed 3,000 people in Exodus 32 who were worshiping that golden calf. Now, let me point this out as well. The golden calf was a work of art. They, they made something pretty, a gold calf. But it was used for worship. That's really what the second commandment is getting at. It's not anti-art. God is not against the carvings of Michelangelo or the pottery that you may make and the designs you may make or whatever. He's against People using those things, any type of artwork or work of your hands for the purpose of worship or increasing your faith. This is why in verse 9, he says, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. Now, to, to add to the argument of, the, of this point that I'm making, the, the distinction between art and the use of art in worship is this. In the Old Testament... In the tabernacle and the temple, there was art, work, all around. Um, you had to design angels on top of the Ark of the Covenant. That was an artistic fashion of angels. Now, if you looked at those angels and started worshiping those angels, then you, com- you violated the second commandment. Also, in, in David's time period, there were 12 bulls that were carved. And they put the bronze sea in the temple holding all this, this huge bowl of water on top of these bulls, 12 bulls, always facing north, south, east, and west. But again, that was good art for a good purpose. But if you worship those cows and use those cows as a means of connecting to God, then of course that violates the second commandment. So the point, summary point is this. This is about using illegitimate things as a means of grace to tap into God's power or tap into God's presence in a way that he has not authorized. This will help explain Moses' commentary on this whole subject matter. Turn with me, please, to Deuteronomy 12 and 13. Now, I'm not going to read all this chapter, just a few verses, but I want to give you a summary 
of what Moses talks about. And as I summarize Moses' points, I'm going to show you how the New Testament fulfills the point of the second commandment. Here's a couple of summary points. When you read Deuteronomy 12 and 13, you'll notice this, that very little has to do with carvings. Very little has to do with the wooden images that the pagans were, were using for worship. Here's four points that is repeated in, this, in these two chapters. And it's kind of strange. You're going to be thinking, why is that? how does it apply? Now, let's, I'll explain it to you. The first repeated point is about location. God says, God will say in this chapter several times, don't go worship me on that hill, that hill, or that hill. You go where I tell you to worship, and that's where you build an altar and worship me. The second point that you'll read in this chapter is about meat or food. God says, eat the meat of the animal, but do not drink the blood. Don't eat the blood in the animal. The point is, if you do that, you'll be violating the second commandment. I'll explain to you why later, okay? Here's another thing. Don't sacrifice your children to false gods. We'll look at that as well. And the last one I want to talk about is people with supernatural power. We call them false prophets. They actually make a prediction, and the prediction comes true. God says, don't listen to them, especially when they tell you to go follow another God. So let me go through these four points and explain to you how they violate the second commandment, because this is going to enlarge your understanding of the second commandment. First of all, location. Look at verse 13, chapter 12, verse 13. Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place you use. But in the place that the Lord your God chooses, in one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and you shall do all that I command you. You may be thinking, okay, so what? Why is God so concerned about the place where they offer these offerings? Let me explain it to you this way. In the ancient world, when Israel goes into the promised land, all the pagans had an altar or something on every mountain, under every hill, and all these other things. They thought those were special holy places where they could connect to their deity. So you're an ancient Israelite, and you're, you're kicking out their religion. You're going to have the temptation to say this. Ha, huh, that's a holy place. Let's go put Yahweh's altar where they did it. That place where the pagan put their special places, that's where we can tap into divine power. That's where we can really access the presence of God there where they did it. See, you're putting, you're looking at what they did and where they did it, their location, as a means of grace, copying them. God says, forget about that. I will tell you to put the, wall, the altar now, let's move to the animal blood issue. Look at verse 15. He says, you may, <clears throat> you may slaughter and eat meat within your gates, <clears throat> wherever your heart desires, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. The unclean and the clean may eat it. The gazelle and the deer alike, only you may not eat the blood. You shall pour it on the earth like water. Now, y'all, this is the first time 
He talks about this in this chapter. He's going he's to repeat it again about not eating the blood because there's life in the blood. Why is this so important? The answer is, it's a type of vampireism. What is vampireism? If you know the myth of vampires, they try to derive life from the blood of their victim. In the ancient world, the idea is that their animal had life. So if you eat the blood, if you get derive that life from the blood, you're going to get some type of superpower, some type of extra life from the blood of that animal like a vampire. What is this? This is an extra means of grace for tapping into divine power. Um, let me apply this all to the New Testament. Location. What's the best location? We talked about location earlier. What's the best location for worship in the, in the New Testament whenever you want to tap into the wellspring of God's presence? The answer is you meet with His people. Um, whatever denomination, wherever church is going to proclaim the truth of Scripture, you locate yourself there among God's people. You don't have to go to Jerusalem, Rome, all these special cities that people think are more holy. This is what the Islam does. They put a place or a particular location like Mecca and say, if you want to tap into the divine presence, you've got to go to Mecca. That's what Islam does. Judaism does this with Jerusalem, their city over there across the ocean. Some Christians do this with Rome, okay, and the Catholic Church. So you see how we're tempted to violate the second commandment with location. Because we think if we go to a better location on earth, we'll tap into the access of that powerful presence of God. Well, how do we do vampirism properly today? Well, we don't try to derive life from animals and the blood of animals, but Jesus says this, my body and my blood I've given to you. Here's the lifeblood that you need to drink. Here's the body you need to eat. All of it by faith. This is the means of grace. The Lord's Supper is the means of grace. And you can see a contrast between God saying, don't drink the animal blood. Don't have that blood. And in a way, God's saying, wait for the blood of Christ. That's how we fulfill and honor the second commandment because when we come to the Lord's Supper, we know that this is a proper means of grace. This is where God feeds our soul in the Lord's Supper with this legitimate means of grace, applying the, God's grace and salvation through His Word and sacrament. Let's move on to another subject matter in Deuteronomy chapter 12 and 13. That is, if the blood of animals doesn't give you superpower, sometimes people thought that the blood of children would. If you look at chapter 12, verse 31, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomination to the Lord which he hates, they have done with their gods, or to their gods, for they burn even their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. You may be wondering, why do people in the ancient world, even the Aztecs in Mexico and Incas and Peru, why did they kill children? 
and offer children as sacrifices because in their understanding, that's the gateway. That's the portal that you go through, the means of grace that you get blessing from the deity because I'm even giving you my son. I'm even giving you my daughter. And look how costly the sacrifice it is. Therefore, the weather can happen. The rain can come down, bless my crops, feed my other children who are alive, you know, because we sacrificed this one. All of this is a way of violating the second commandment because they think that coming to God, coming to the deity through these means and with this mannerism is pleasing to him because they want to feel God's presence. And that's why God is saying, not even don't don't drink the animal blood, don't offer the blood of your children. All that violates the second commandment because you're trying to worship and bow down to these designs of of connecting to the deity. Lastly, let me say this on this this section here, is chapter 13. You don't need to read it right now, read it later, but the summary is this. In chapter 13, you have the man with superpowers. Look at verse 1. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams... And he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder comes to pass, of which he said to you, saying, Let us go after other gods, which you have not known. Let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet. I'll stop right there. The point is this. You'll have some guru who comes up, makes a prophecy, or does a miracle, and does all this stuff, and people are impressed with the fact that he has some type of super knowledge, or superpower. Something like, yeah, I know what's going to happen. Or yeah, I know divine secrets. And let me prove to you. So what is this happening? This man is setting himself up as an image or as a mediator of divine blessing. So if you follow him, then you're going to have access to the power you've been looking for. And so you're going to follow him and he's going to lead you astray. He's a type of means of grace that you've been looking for. You know, another illustration to explain. I mean, that's pretty much the summary of this whole point of these chapters 12 and 13. I thought about the illustration. I think just go ahead and read the books and watch the movies. It's great. But I think that this is clearly a good illustration. Lord of the Rings. Okay. In In the series Lord of the Rings, the ring has superpowers. It's like, man, it's got the magic. If I can use that and put it on, I'm invisible, they can't see me, and I got this power and all this stuff. Everybody everybody wants the the ring, okay? And so that's like this, this means of grace, this means of power that if I have it and employ it right, then I will have what I've been looking for. That's a good illustration of what the second commandment is, is condemning, meaning People are prone to to make something, design something, carve something, paint something, promote someone, and put it as a mediator mediator between them and God to say, there's the portal. Here's the access. Here's the relic. Um, Here's the healing. It'll come through this. And God's condemning all the illegitimate ways to do that. In the New Testament, we have access by the Word of God 
the preaching, the hearing, the studying of the Bible, and baptism, and the Lord's Supper. That's the portal. That's the access point. That's where God says, come, you come to the supper. You get baptized. You come and feast upon the word of God. That's the means of grace. You go anywhere else to find access, you're going to violate the second commandment. You're going to set something up that's going to create superstition. Superstition is a false belief in something that, that gives more power to it than is there. Superstition in like, you know, the holiness of Jerusalem or the holiness of Rome or the holiness of this wood that you may have found and maybe this was the cross of Christ or linked to the cross of Christ. The superstition of, of looking at an image or a picture or a painting of Jesus or Mary or something like that and saying, oh, I see it. And it's, it's getting more authority to creation and nature and the works of man's hands than, than is legitimately used. And people think that by tapping into that, that means then I get the, what I've been looking for. Let me give you also a spectrum of how violations of the second commandment is how it applies in our life. There are objective things and subjective things. Let me explain to you. Objective things are things you can see, touch, make, or feel. Like, for example, a relic, a piece of hair from, a, from an old saint, gadgets, or statues, or icons, or drawings, or paintings. People will, can see that, and what they'll sometimes be tempted to do is say, if I use this to approach God, if I use this as healing for the cancer or use this as healing for my emotions, then it makes me feel a lot better because I've tapped into these objective things that I can see, touch, make, or feel. And those are that's all filled with superstition. All of that is a violation of the second commandment and it shows you the mentality of being trapped in superstition. I know people who have done this who really believe that relics are powerful. That if you put, took this, a relic is something that some saint had a long time ago. If you take it and you touch the other person, that there's, there may be some power coming from that relic because it, it touched Saint Athanasius or someone in, in church history, that kind of thing. All that stuff is superstition. God hates that stuff because you're trying to approach God or find God's presence in it, with an illegitimate means or a way. Now, I said subjective experiences. This is what you would see if, if you don't believe in relics and all those things. You say, oh, yeah, I don't believe in that stuff. And if you reject the Lord's Supper, you're not content with the Lord's Supper, you're not content with baptism, you're not content with the Bible, and you say, you know what, I need something more. Then you're going to fall prey for the enthusiasm, the emotionalism of craziness. What I mean by that is like, for example, Rodney Howard Brown was a guy who did holy laughter. I actually went to go see him whenever I was 20 years old. I was with somebody who wanted me to go see Rodney Howard Brown. He's laying his hand on all these people. They're falling out laughing. I even confronted him after the worship service, asking him, where does this come from in the Bible? 
And he tried to put his hands on me and make me pass out and, and laugh. It didn't work. I said, no, get your hands off. I said, my question is, where do you get it from the Bible? And he said, well, in Psalms, it said God laughs. I said, yeah, God laughs at the wicked. I said, this is a bad application. So we had a, a debate right there. But my point is, is that you saw people who are addicted to this holy laughter, charismania stuff. And they're not content with the means of grace that God supplies. So they want, what they want to do is, is try to get some better experience somewhere else by some other person who has the superpower. By some other person who has that gateway into, oh, that's where the Holy Spirit comes through him. And it channels, I was told this, it channels through his hand and comes to you. And then, then you get it and you fall out laughing. That's an extreme case. But what I'm showing you is that's where fanaticism and extreme emotionalism violates the second commandment because people are not content with the means of grace that God has offered. And so they invent it somewhere else or they promote somebody else as the way, as the means. And all that stuff, by the way, is actually not of the Holy Spirit, that holy laughter stuff. It's just uh, hip, it's hypnotic. Uh, when you put people together and you get the emotions going, you, get, you turn off the lights, you know, you get the dark outside, you put the lights on, you got the... You can hypnotize people to function in a way, especially when they expect to live in a way and act in a way. All that stuff is, is, is hypnotic. It is evil because it distracts from the means by which God really wants to feed your soul. So there's subjective experiences that people will try to chase and grab onto because they're not content with church. They're not content with the Lord's Supper, baptism, and the Bible. And they sit there and think, well, I got a serious problem and I need extra superpower. I need to find the guru. I need to find the animal blood. Or I need to find whatever blood. Or the holy water from Jerusalem. As a means of grace to tap it into the superpower. And the presence of God. And God literally says, I hate that. The reason why he hates it because he wants us to live by faith. The firmament is above us. It's blocking vision of God. You can't see God because of outer space. And God says, do not try to live by sight. Do not try to make something that you can see, feel, taste, and touch. And you need to live by faith. And here are the two means of grace, the word of God and the sacraments. Be content with that. And that will satisfy your soul. I'm out of time, but... You can see how this is an expanded version and application of the second commandment in our life. Live by faith and the means of grace that God requires, and you'll have the true, real presence of God in your life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray you'll strengthen us in your word, that you will bless us with your presence through your legitimate means of grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.